Hey y'all, welcome to the Anxiety Warriors podcast. We are your hosts, Margo and Abby. We are friends, teachers, and storytellers, but above all, we're anxiety warriors on a mission to raise awareness and understanding about anxiety and mental health. You will hear honest, engaging, and joyful stories from us and many other anxiety warriors about living with anxiety. If you're seeking a space to laugh, connect, feel inspired and empowered, and learn valuable tips rooted in mindfulness and more, your warrior community is here for you. Join us as we navigate this journey of life together. Welcome warriors. Yippee. Yippee. (laughs) As you can tell, we are enthused and energized. You know, when I was ready to log on to our, our recording sesh today, I was like, it did dawn on me how some topics that we plan to address together feel like, even though anxiety is rough and it's tough, Sometimes the topic feels lighthearted or funny, or like you think about stories and yeah. the rear view and you're like, I can't wait to share this with the right. warriors and it with sucked you, right? in the moment, but we can right. laugh at it now. Yeah. In hindsight, you're like, I got through that thing and yeah. now I can share about it and hopefully impart some humor, some relatability, and maybe a little bit of, um, active practices for people. And with this topic that we're going to be launching into in a moment, um, of, uh, school shootings <laughs> sounds just so fucked up. Ugh, even just saying that, God, right? I just got anxiety around school shootings. Yeah. I, with thinking about this, which we've been putting off for a really long time. Um, we knew there would be another one at some point we knew we could always, you know, we'll always be inspired by our daily activity as Americans, you know, like, yeah, so dark. Yeah. So we've been putting it off and, um, we didn't want to put it off any longer because it's never going to get any easier. So yeah, that is the topic of the day. And it's, it's, it's part of why I think both of us feel a little bit zapped even before we've really gotten rolling because this topic sucks. Like the idea that this came to us to share about this topic just sucks. It's like, why of all the things that we already have to suffer with as human beings, do we have to suffer? Do we have to watch children and educators and parents suffer when we already have it so tough as it is? This is just like extra toughness that nobody needs. And it's not in every other country. It's not like it's a problem that can't be solved. Unique (laughs) problem to this country. And it's really, it's more than a problem, right? It's an epidemic. It's- Yeah. It's a tragedy. It's a fucking tragedy. Yeah. And it's unacceptable. All right. So if this topic feels too heavy for you today, warriors, maybe you put it on the back burner until you're ready to listen. Um, maybe you want to push through, right. But like, you know, yourself and your mental health better than we do. And so take care of yourself, mm-hmm. take care of yourself, whether mm-hmm. that means hitting pause, coming back to this at a later time today or date or whatever. We love you. We see you. And trust us, it isn't fun for us to talk about either. Um, but yeah. we have chronic anxiety over this. It's fucking yeah. low grade. It's, you know, it's Always like beneath the surface. Yeah. Anytime entering a new school, even just like going to schools. I mean, there was a recent shooting um, near one of the elementary schools I teach in. Um, and they caught the guy. 
he killed a dog, but it was on, it was on a college campus. Right. And I didn't even know about it until I showed up to the elementary school and the music teacher was like, you know, there was a shooting today. I was like, what? Right. It's always there. And then the kids always have it too. And like, we have to act like the grownups that can navigate this when it's fucking terrifying for everyone. Exactly. Right. It's like, how are you supposed to necessarily hold space for children when you have that information? Like literally moments before. Yeah. But that's what we do. That's what we're expected to do. And that is what we wind up doing because at the end of the day, those babies, right? Those children, those teenagers, whatever they need, they need protection. They need somebody to go to bat for them. And it just is so fucked up that it's supposed to be on the teachers to do that. Yeah, That's their new role to not only educate Mm -hmm. and do so much for kids in the way of their education and their mental health and their social emotional learning and their physical learning and all the things. But now they have to, you know, throw themselves in front of children to save them. Mm -hmm. They have to lock them in closets and beg them to be quiet and hold them while they cry and pee their pants. Like this is what we want out of educators now. And if you say that that's not what you want, then what the fuck are you doing about it to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's start with like what our experience has been from our childhoods and how it's different from, you know, the way kids are experiencing going to school these days when it comes to like threats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're oldies, right? So we had... (laughs) We had a good part of our life where there was no such thing as a school shooting, right? Um, mm-hmm. Until, uh, what were we, junior, seniors? Yeah. I mean, in 1999, when Columbine happened, we yeah. were- Seniors. Seniors juniors. and juniors. Juniors to seniors. seniors. Yeah. Yeah. We were, you and I are both the same age. And so we we graduated from high school in 2000. Mm-hmm. And so we spent half of our junior year in 99 and half of our senior year in 99, just to bring yeah. some context out there. Yeah. Um, Before that, the thing that we got to practice, I think I'm assuming you did too, in elementary school was bomb threats. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Or not, but not even like bomb, bomb threats. Like once in a while, we would get a bomb threat that we had to like leave the school for, but it was more like post cold war. Like what happens if there's like a nuclear attack and and then we and you're in school for it right yeah so we either go underneath our desk or we walk into the hallway and cover the back of our heads with our hands because that will keep us safe from a bomb sure 100 percent. yeah right it's like laughable but at the same time it's like what were they expected to do (laughs) to to like so what were they expected to show us right there was no like sit in our classroom peacefully if we're gonna get bombed Why instill all that extra fear? What is our hands going to do to protect us? Like what? Okay. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I mean, same thing. When I remember we had a couple of bomb threats to our high school, like just like random people. I mean, look, I don't even really know. That's the, that's Mm -hmm. the thing. It's like, oh, okay. There was a bomb threat. And so what we would do is we would leave the school and go to the football fields. Yeah. (laughs) As if again, yeah, we're going to be fine. You know, a few hundred feet from the school, um, right at the football field. So that was the practice. And honestly, we used to laugh about it, right? right? Like my friends and I would just, oh, what a waste of time. Or we'd be like, oh, it's good to get outside for a few yeah. minutes. It's like, we really weren't thinking about these threats as credible or real. And like, I feel like our parents didn't really think about it like that either. No, it's not like they were ready to receive phone calls that there was, you know, a problem at our school and that 
we might be dead. Right. Right. Come, come check to see if your child was shot up. Like, right. yeah, these were things that we didn't have to deal with as no. kids and that our parents didn't have to deal with. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously as time went on since Columbine, right? Like, and I know you have an interesting story with someone, you know, um, mm-hmm. that I, I can't wait for you to share with the warriors, but like, maybe after that, we can chat a little bit about what it was like for us when we spent so much time in the classroom as educators. And now as yoga and mindfulness teachers going into schools, so many more schools to be thinking about what the protocols are like, how they're different, how they're the same, all the age groups we have to see, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, before we launch into all of that, like share with everyone about. Yeah. So I, I know someone, when I moved out to Colorado, um, I met someone who's two years younger than us. Um, and he was, went to Columbine. And um, he was in ninth grade at the time. He was in science class. And um, there all of a sudden was all this shooting. And at first, no one understood what was going on, right? Um, And it wasn't, and of course, there weren't really cell phones at this point. There weren't really, you know, there was so many things that they didn't have. And, And even when they called the police, the police didn't take it seriously because it wasn't something that happened. And so he was crouched in like in the, in the science room, there was like a, another, like maybe a lab or whatever that was connected to the room. And they all, or like a storage room, it was something small. And the entire like ninth grade class um, that had been in the science class huddled into this tiny space and hid for like four hours. Right. The teacher didn't know what was going on. The teacher didn't know what to say, but they knew that there was active shooting inside their school. Um, and then what happened was eventually the police came and um, they had these kids walk like by themselves to this other place. I can't remember what he said it was. Um, they had to like walk through the woods and then they had all the parents come to this other place to meet the kids. And parents were waiting and waiting and waiting for their kids and not every kid came. And this person that I know uh, was waiting for his best friend. See, I'm going to cry because this is a real story with a real person. And he was waiting for his best friend and his best friend never came because his best friend was one of the first people shot in, in, in Columbine. Um, He was at the entrance. And um, I didn't know this person at all during any of this, right? I lived in New York. Um, But what I can say is that that experience and that trauma has changed this person's life for the rest of his life. He is a traumatized human being. He barely wants to leave his, his apartment for anything. He, he doesn't want to leave. He does you know, like yeah. he has found ways he works from home. He's found a job where he can work from home. He plays video games. He's not very social. He doesn't want to go to places with like big crowds and stuff. His life has forever changed because of that moment. And at that time, there weren't any resources. It was more like, ignore what happened, pretend everything's okay. Yeah. Man, that is awful. Yeah. That's so awful. I mean, it's, it's interesting, because like, you know, a lot of people when they learn like, oh, you know, you, you guys were in teenagers when this kind of thing happened. And, but we had the unique experience of not being in high school for long enough after it happened yeah. to have to be 
have it be part of our school culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And even into college, you know, like those first couple of years, I mean, then there, we had nine 11. And so there were different concerns after that moment. Mm -hmm. Right. And school shootings kind of took a back burner for a hot minute there. Right. I'm being obviously a little bit, you know, well, anyway, it just, it's, it's so extra effed to hear directly from a source like that, that like, for me, I know that I'm, I was at that time able to sort of say, well, that happened somewhere else right? to other kids that didn't happen to me, you know? And so like, and being a young person still myself, right? Like I didn't have the level of compassion and care and empathy that I do now and didn't, you know, for a long time. And so it, just learning about it now, it's just like, man, whoa, what he must have to do emotionally on the daily as anxiety warriors. I know what I have to do on the daily to like function. And I'm just trying to imagine what that extra layer does to a person. And it's like, I know you, you know, you're sharing a third party here, but like how incredibly awful it must be to have to wake up and think so hard about literally every single thing that you do. And that's the reality that so many people are living with now, but many of us are have become numb to yeah. because it's just on to the next. Right. And some of that has to do with our news cycle, right? And yeah. how that's evolved over the last couple of decades. But right. it's just we don't there's no time to even process the shooting that just happened because it's on to the next. Right. Right. There's always another one. Yeah. There's always the one side of people that would like things to change so we can live lives feeling a little bit more safe going places. And then there's the other side that says, this is never the time to talk about it. You don't talk about it during the trauma. And it's like, fuck you all. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't talk about it ever. You don't talk about it ever. You know, nope. you are like, there is one side that is okay with people and, and children and babies just being killed rather than uh, dealing with it mm-hmm. um, with yeah. common sense, with yeah. common sense that the majority of the country, right, regardless of your political affiliation is on board with. So yeah. it's just about the legislators. It's about people that are actually in charge to be able to make things happen that are unwilling because yeah. of their big corporate interests, because of their lobbying funds, because mm-hmm. of the NRA. Right. And so like, you, yeah, you I mean, know, that after Columbine, the NRA got together and had a really big meeting mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, how do we address this? And one way was like, cause the NRA used to be about sensible gun laws. They used to be about like being a good gun owner, right? Being a responsible gun owner. And then at some point they've changed their philosophy. Um, but, but they, they all got in this room. The tapes leaked at some point recently about their discussion and they decided to push harder for having more guns than safer yeah. uh, gun ownership. Mm-hmm. And this was like the deciding factor after Columbine, after a horrific moment. Yeah. I mean, I know that and many people say this, right? Like after that was obviously horrible, but then we had 9-11, we had a big gap of like, everyone thinking about other things and there was less um, news coverage about that kind of thing. Right. And so like in that time, you know, the way that schools behaved had evolved a bit, Mm -hmm. right. It's like schools started to implement slowly different, different things, you know um, and I, I can actually carve out 
if I think really hard about through my decades long career as a school teacher, as a classroom teacher, how each year the conversation around protecting children and ourselves in schools changed, how it elevated, how it escalated mm-hmm. year after year after year, never more so than after Sandy Hook, right? In 2012. And that's when I felt like I knew in my heart that like, we're never going to fix us. Yeah. We're never going to fucking, I mean, that's the way it feels anyway. Right. And I know that that's dark and I'm obviously hoping to be wrong in the long run. And, I'm, you know, we're going to spend some time talking about some solutions that are general um, things that we can do as just ordinary citizens to help ourselves and help, you know, push for more common sense gun reform in this country. But I remember my feeling then. And sadly, my feeling now still is that like, when will anyone change? If people are fine with, as you said, babies being shut up, six, six, six-year-olds, right? First graders and yeah. their teachers being killed. So many of them after that. And, and if nothing changed after that, it was like, well, that's it. We've had a new low, mm-hmm. right? We've had a brand new low. And um, yeah, so like, what do you remember about your experience in like, your time in schools, how things evolved or like in working in schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I remember it, it, things started to really change right around the time I moved to New York city. Right. And so what year I'm, was that? Uh, I moved in 2013. Right. So there was a little bit of a lull where I had been working at one school for a bit um, in upstate New York. Um, and then I was transitioning to the city. And so there was like a part of time where I wasn't really in schools. I was in other places. Right. Um, uh, I had mentioned to you right before we started chatting about how at one point I was working at the gap and I wasn't there that day, but there was an active shooter in our mall. Um, and my coworkers were locked in a room, right. Different, not school. Right. But still (laughs) part of the problem. Um, but I remember moving to New York City and starting to work in schools. And it used to be like classroom doors were always open. Um, because there's always the thing about leaving adults alone with kids. And so you have to protect the kids from the adults. So you have to leave the door open to make sure the kids are safe. But now all of a sudden, all the doors need to be locked. And now yeah. all of a sudden, um, they're they're putting paper or um, tint or whatever into all the windows so you can't see through the windows. Um, that was one big thing that I noticed in a huge shift in schools. It went from an open door policy to the doors must be locked. Yeah. Um, what about you? So we weren't allowed to have locks on our doors um, in, in my Head Start that I spent mm-hmm. seven years in. And that was like, I was, I was working at that school right around the time when things really started to take a shift in terms of security and, and trying to figure out each classroom's measure of what they would do, right? What's your best course of action if a shooter's coming from this direction versus this direction from this door versus this door, you know, um, trying to decide between where to bring the kids, right. Or how to hide them properly, which, which, um, types of furniture, would be easiest for us to myself, my teaching assistant, right. To be able to maneuver in front of doors. Like Mm -hmm. these were well thought out plans that each one of us had to come up with and then get approved by school officials. And like, we did them in tandem with school officials. 
Um, when you say we, you are saying the teachers had to come up with plans. Yeah. Or we came up with what was comfortable for us. And then we got like, you know, it was a, it, and then we were like brought it to like a giant meeting and everybody kind of laid out their plans and we agreed upon which ones would be best for each classroom. Again, depending on where the shooter might be. Mm. And then we know that security, they improved the security cameras in every room. They added more to the hallways. Um, you know, we never had a, a security guard at our school. Mm. The doors mm-hmm. were always locked, but I know my mm-hmm. classroom was right next to a side door. And a lot of times like the, our UPS guy, or like the guy that generally always came to our building would, for whatever reason, come through the side door. And he would sometimes knock on my window to let him in. And like, once I got to know him, right. It was kind of like, no big deal. But then after everything kind of started to shift, mm-hmm. it was no more. He right. has to come to the front door. And so right. the first couple of times after things had changed, he like knocked on the window and I was like, Mm-mm, like, you know, yelling through the window, like go to the front door and they'll mm-hmm. let you know the new plan. Um, I felt, I felt, I remember feeling some level of relief and luck that my classroom uh, I had a main door to my classroom and then I had a back door to my classroom. The back door was like a mini little annex, like a, like a vestibule almost. It was like a, like a teeny tiny hallway. And in that little hallway was an exit, like an actual exit to the building that took you in like a remote area in the back of this building and the classroom, the back door for the classroom that was next to mine. Mm-hmm. Cause, um, her classroom was like an L shape. Right. And so, my classroom, you walk straight in and it was a big old rectangle. Her classroom, you walk down a little hallway, you know, you go through the, her front door, you walk down a hallway into the classroom. So part yeah. this hallway was part of her classroom. So it was this L. And so we were both, I remember distinctly at this meeting, we both looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, I feel so lucky that we have this back door that isn't a main back door that we can just take us and our kids out of. Like we were just so like fucked what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, mean- <laughs> I, I still think about it though. Like yeah. how lucky I felt truly, I felt mm-hmm. lucky that right. in the event of an active shooter that yeah. I thought I had a good shot at getting myself and my children outside. Right. And to a place where hopefully there wouldn't be another active shooter or something. Right. right? right. To a more remote part of the back area where there was like nothing we could mm-hmm. literally just maybe get away. Right. And this was the shit that went through my mind. And as you said, also, you know, door window coverings were mm-hmm. added, shades were added mm-hmm. and the intercoms also with video cameras, yeah. the intercoms are also improved. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those were the things I remember distinctly. And then I'll, I'll never forget, like just jumping forward again, like to when I was teaching yoga in schools, I would spend a lot of time talking to the teachers, right? Cause I was in a lot of different places at, the, at mm-hmm. that time, obviously like yourself. And we weren't given necessarily as outsiders, the rules, the lay of the land for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, oh. right. I remember thinking at one point I was in a, a 3k classroom. So like in New York city, they have something called 3k it's below UPK. So it's like special mm-hmm. funding for three-year-olds again, to help them get a leg up in their education, whatever, through the New York city public school system. And so I was teaching yoga to these 3k students. They're, they're babies, right? Three-year-olds are still toddlers. They're babies. And there was a a sudden announcement that there was going to be an active shooter drill in like, and they give you a very short window of time Yeah, because it's supposed to be as if there's a real active shooter. Yep. And I just, 
I was like partially broken after I left that day because mm-hmm. I was only in that one room with these, with these three-year-olds for like 25 minutes before moving on to the next. But we spent almost half that time hiding. Yeah. So like, I'm like in a dark corner with a bunch of three-year-olds yeah. and their two teachers and everyone's whispering. And like, it's, you know, you just, these babies have no idea what's going on. And so like, I just remember being like, I can't go back to teaching right now after this. Right. I somehow did, you know, like I, you pull it together and you do your job, mm-hmm. but I left and I was just like, I was a mess mm-hmm. for like days. I'm like, how are we subjecting babies yeah. to active shooter drills? They have no understanding about what's going on. They're just being told to be quiet and huddle in a corner with the right. lights out and and just the idea that like somebody could come barreling through the door and murder us all, right? right? Me, these teachers, all of these babies that are there with us. And it's just like, this is so fucked. Like the trauma. And for some reason that situ- that particular moment yeah. was a sh- real shift for me. Mm-hmm. It, I became, I become, a, I had become numb like the rest of us educators to some extent, right? Because yeah. it's not necessarily, or it wasn't on your mind in the same way you go to work, you show up for all the things, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, especially when you teach little, little kids. I mean, all kids, but little kids are clingy. They're consuming, you know, there's no quiet, there's no rest, there's no break. And so it's really hard. It's really hard to not be present with little right. kids. Right. But somehow this moment really was, it made, it made being present impossible. And then since then, that was really pivotal for me. I was like, yeah. It was constantly on my mind. And then I would go into new schools and be like, what's the protocol for active shooters? Right. right. So I knew what I should be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like because every school is different. Um, mm-hmm. And I was starting to scan more for exits and, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Right. right. I never really thought about. Right. Prior to that. So like, yeah, totally. No, I'm I'm with you. I remember like the first time I was in a I was in a, a inclusive and adaptive like middle school. Um and, but it had like, um, from, from fourth grade, fourth grade to eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And I was in one of the younger classes with the fourth graders. And, um, they were like, they were telling me, they were like, don't go teach yoga in the, in the gym today, because we're going to have an active shooter drill. And I was like, okay. So they had me go upstairs and be with the class. And we did some chair yoga until the drill happened. And then I had to like, learn (laughs) what we did. Right. And then, you know, and, and at that same school, I was at that school for a long time, like many years. And as things started to progress, because I started there in 2013, right. In like 2015, 2016, I remember the older kids, the sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, all would ask more questions to me about shooters and what do we do and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and like, there was little things that I would do where like, I made sure the kids could always see the doorway so they could see who was coming in and out. Right. Especially in the gym, we didn't have a door. <laughs> we just had a doorway. We couldn't lock anyone out, you know? Wow. Um, no door. But, That's interesting. Yeah. No door. It was. Yep. And, and, and uh, yeah, there's been a few schools where, where I was teaching, there was no door. Um, I think there's like a door at some point, but not for like the whole hallway into where it would just go right into um, the um, gym. But I just remember like being like, like my job is like, 
yeah, like I got to, you know, soothe the kids, but also like be honest. So, you know, it's like, oh, when we're talking about active gun shooters, well, let's notice how that we feel that in our body, right? Like, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say it's never going to happen. I can say the chances are pretty low, right? And fortunately, what, what I did say is to the kids is like, I noticed like a lot of you are feeling concerned about this. Um, it's probably best to talk to one of your counselors because I'm not equipped to talk about this. So as an independent contractor, I definitely didn't talk about it that much because I just didn't know the right thing to say because sure. it's fucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do I do? What do we do, uh, Miss Abby? Uh, we're fucked. <laughs> like- <laughs> we're fucked. We're fucked. You know what you should right. do? Run for Congress. That's what you should do. You know, Um, try to make some fucking changes. Um, But I do remember, um, again, it's really unfair what's being asked of the teachers, but also in some situations, uh, teachers are not also equipped to do stuff like lead active shooter drills because um, one of the kids that I used to nanny for in New York, he was in first grade at the time. And I remember him coming back and telling me about it. Right. And it wasn't like that scary for him because at this point it was normal for him. This is like back in 2013, 2014. Right. This was normal. Um, But I remember him saying like, oh, my friend and I won't say this kid's name or anything. Another first grader bumped into the desks when trying to hurry to where they were supposed to go in the classroom. And the teacher was like, well, you know, if you do that, you don't even have to worry because the shooter will shoot you first. Like a teacher said this to a first grader because he bumped into death. Right. And so at that point I was like, oh, my God, like what? (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, this is scary enough. And now you're going to tell this child they're going to be shot first for making noise. And maybe this is coming from a genuine fear from the teacher. But like this teacher should not be leading active shooter drills. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If only we could figure out a way to make teachers and children in schools safe yeah from you know active shooters I wonder if there's a way to do that yeah I wonder if there's any buildings anywhere in America that keep humans inside the building safe Mm. can't come up with one yeah can't come up with one yeah except for maybe governor's offices Maybe heavily armed security which I mean and we know now having security at schools even if they're armed hasn't done that yeah. much to protect right. children and teachers. So, right. And school officials, I we keep saying teachers, right. But just people that work inside of school buildings. Yeah. Um, all right. So how about we have some facts? Let's go. Let's go for some, some child related gun violence and school shooting facts. Mm-hmm. These 17 facts come from Sandy hook promise. Number one, each day, 12 children die from gun violence in America. Another 32 are shot and injured. Number two, guns are the leading cause of death among American children and teens. One out of 10 gun deaths are age 19 or younger. Can you just say that one again? Sure. I feel like- Guns are the leading cause of death among American children and teens. Wow. Wow. Number one, number one cause. It's like- One in 10 gun deaths. We don't care about children. We- Unless they're unborn. I was going to say we care about embryos. Right. And fetus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not about the women that carry them. (laughs) Right. No. Fuck the women. Or or live children. Right. Fuck anything that's outside of a uterus. Yeah. 
Everyone go back to our Roe v. Wade overturn rant. <laughs> We're not going to go back into that one today. Okay. Number three, firearm deaths occur at a rate more than five times higher than drownings. Number four, since Columbine in 1999, more than 338,000 students in the United States have experienced gun violence at school. Wow. Not gun violence, gun violence at school. Number five, there were more, more school shootings in 2022, 46, than in any year since Columbine. This mirrored America's broader rise in gun violence as it emerged from the pandemic. However, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security research shows that if we know the signs of gun violence, we can prevent it and reverse the trend. Hmm. Aren't we like not allowed to study gun violence? Didn't the NRA like do a lockdown on that where we can't even study it? I mean, I'm sure if they haven't, they're working on it now. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's that's something that they've done a lockdown on, like like the um, uh, uh, was it the the gun and uh, the firearm and tobacco people like in our um, tobacco and firearm taff or fat or fire. Anyway, <laughs> there is a part of our government that like they study tobacco use and how that impacts human beings, but they're not allowed to study guns and gun violence. All right. I'm going to have to look more into that. Yeah. Look into that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Number six in 2022, 34 students and adults died while more than 43,000 children were exposed to gunfire at school. 43,000 children in one year Mm -hmm. experienced gunfire in school. 43,000 children now have trauma and probably PTSD not to mention all of the grown-ups that were also in that school. Yeah. Schools. Schools, yeah. Number seven, an estimated 4.6 million American children live in a home where at least one gun is, one gun is kept loaded and unlocked. These improperly oh, that's stored fun. weapons have contributed to school shootings, suicides, and the deaths of family members, including infants and toddlers. Great, right? Number eight, nearly half of all parents with a weapon in the home wrongly believe that their child does not know where the gun is stored. Wrongly believe their child, of course, knows. Safe storage of firearms can prevent these tragedies, but we digress temporarily anyway. Number nine, in four out of five school shootings, at least one other person had acknowledged uh, had knowledge of the attacker's plan, but failed to report it. Oh, my God. Four out of five. Yeah. Number 10, in a comprehensive school shooting study, the Secret Service and Department of Ed found that 93% of school shooters planned the attack in advance. When people see the signs and we get help, we can try to end school shootings, right? Mm -hmm. We can see the signs and get help. In addition to that, ban the fucking guns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number 11, almost all mass shootings uh, sorry, almost all mass school shooters shared threatening or concerning messages or images. More than 75% raised concern from others prior to the attacks. Bystanders saw warning signs in most documented active shooter cases. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 12, children living in poverty, urban and rural, are more likely to die due to gun violence than their more affluent peers. No surprise there. No. Number 13, about one out of five gay and lesbian youth have been threatened or injured with a weapon on school property. Jesus. So not just in general, but on school property. Number four, black youth are four times more likely to be, I'm sorry, 14. Black youth are more likely, are far more, four times more likely to be killed with guns than their white peers. 
also not surprised. Number 15, children of color are far more likely to experience campus gun violence. It's more than twice as much for Hispanic students and over three times as, as much for black students. Number 16, the majority of individuals with diagnosed mental illness do not engage in violence against others. I'm going to read that one again. Yeah. The majority of individuals with diagnosed mental illness do not engage in violence against others. Yeah. So that yeah. whole fix the people, fix the mental illness, and we yeah. solve gun violence in schools. Yeah. That's, that's fucking horseshit. I look, I'm, I'm not saying that we do not have a mental health crisis in this country, yeah. especially among children and teens. We do. But we can't just blame mental illness and, and mass exactly. shootings. Yeah, that's exactly right. They are not, they're not solely the problem. They're not the problem at all. The problem is the access to weapons, weapons yeah. of death. Yeah. And I mean, if we really yeah. just see the pattern of, of gender and color of someone, <laughs> we need to yep. fix the white male problem. Mm-hmm. Number 17, lastly, it must be remembered that 90% of teens killed in an act of dating violence were girls. Mm, Domestic violence amongst teens is really high. Mm -hmm. It's so high. And they're so, it's very under discussed too. Mm -hmm. Like when people talk about domestic violence, most people talk about married partners, right? Or people that are in committed relationships in their adulthoods Mm -hmm. when really domestic violence for teenagers, boys and girls, but clearly more of dating violence against girls, mm-hmm. right? This is a, this is a huge reality that needs to be less, uh, more discussed more yeah. openly. Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there are sources for all of these facts mm-hmm. that are listed here on Sandy Hook's promises website. So if you want to read this or any more on the amazing work that they're doing, you can visit sandyhookpromise.org. And they have so many valuable um, resources and a lot of information for you to um, peruse in your time. Yeah. 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 You know, I'll just say like, I mean, we're talking specifically about school shootings because otherwise this could be like an 18 hour episode if we talk about all shootings. Yeah. But there are a lot of times where I question if I want to go somewhere, you know, um, I have been invited to concerts and I have questioned, do I really want to be at a concert with a large amount of people? Right. Um, Even like when I first went to the Denver zoo, I was like, do I want to go there? Right. Like nowhere is safe in our country. There is nowhere safe. That's it. And it's like, it impacts my day-to-day living. Like there are times where I go places that are new places, again, like a concert or um, going to like a Broadway show or any show, it doesn't have to be Broadway in New York City, going to shows, I'm always looking for the exits and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, if there's a mass shooter, is it safer to try to get out or should I try to wedge myself in between like the seats in the aisle, right? Because I might get trampled because right like these are thoughts that i have anytime i'm in a space with a large amount of people and especially if it's a space i've never been in before i think about how do how do i get out if there's a mass shooter what is probably the best way to keep myself safe and that is fucked and i can't even imagine what it is like for children who are practicing active shooter drills their entire lives 
and what they do when they go into big spaces or how their behaviors have changed and they haven't tried new things because of the fear of gun violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, everyone is walking around, maybe not everyone, but I think the majority of people, whether they know it or not, are walking around with some light level fear, anxiety, and trauma surrounding any number of, of things that have happened to them, around them, to people that they love in a space where they've been, right? I mean, just going, I know, yeah, the, the focus of this of this chat was about school shootings, but just look about in, the, in our recent news about people can't even back out of the wrong, pull into the wrong driveway I accidentally know. without being shot. People it's can't knock on terrifying. the wrong door without, right. accidentally without being shot. Mm-hmm. It's like, but yeah, but no, but it's not the guns. That's the problem, right? No, it's definitely not the guns. It's not the access to guns. Right. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's infuriating. It's yeah. so enraging. And how some states just keep making it easier and easier and easier. You don't need a permit. You don't need a background check guns mm-hmm. for everyone. Right. It's like, yeah. yeah, they believe that arming more people is going to make people more safe when there is no evidence of that. Right. Because they don't really believe it. They're bought by the NRA. They do not really believe it. The people that are spouting that bullshit don't really believe it. I have to believe they don't believe 98% of the the shit they say. Yeah. They just beholden to their big money. They lack any integrity like at all. They're just human pieces of shit. Yeah. I mean, how do how they pretend to love God and look themselves in the mirror and call themselves Christians Mm -hmm. or, you know, God fearing human beings or whatever. And yet the moral implications of of not doing anything about babies and children and teens having this be the highest mortality rate for this Mm -hmm. age group. Yeah. uh, And doing nothing about it active, active ignorance, like, and, or feigned ignorance, fake ignorance, because they're not ignorant. They're just hiding behind the cloak of the safety or of what they, of, of of what they feel like they need to say and do in order to keep getting elected. Right. In order to keep getting Mm -hmm. donations and funds to keep their cushy jobs in power. Mm -hmm. Okay. So some solutions. Now these five solutions come from every town for gun safety. Okay. And like, these aren't things that I'm just coming up with on my own here, people, right. The resources are out there. You know, we know you can Google, Google yourself, but you're here listening to this pod. If yep. you've made it this deep in, you know, where we <laughs> stand on this issue. <laughs> um, number one, stop arming teachers. That's number one to prevent tragedies. We must implement strong school safety solutions, but arming teachers is not one of them. School shootings are chaotic. And in these moments of chaos, we cannot ask teachers to stop a shooter, potentially a former student of theirs even. Right. Right. It's not their job. Not their job. (laughs) Their job is an underpaid and the hardest ever already. Mm -hmm. Now we expect them to throw themselves, literally throw themselves at active shooters to to save, save their students. Number two, reconsider active shooter drills. 95% of American public school drills, students on lockdown procedures. Yet there is almost no research affirming the value of these drills for preventing school shootings or protecting the school community when shootings do occur. Right. And it's causing more trauma to students. It 100% is. Yep. Threat identification and assessment programs in schools. The most important thing that schools can do to prevent active shooter incidents and gun violence overall is to intervene before a person commits an act of violence. Threat assessment and identification programs allow schools to intervene to address potential violent behavior. Yeah, if you are one of those 
part of those stats from, you know, the gun violence facts I just read about from Sandy Hook Promise, Mm -hmm. where you knew about someone's intentions. You had knowledge that they were researching, you know, weapons or researching how to uh, effectively shoot up a school. Like whatever it is, if you have that awareness, you have that knowledge, you really are obligated to do something with it. Even if it's someone you love, especially if it's someone you love, right. Right. Prevent them from potentially getting shot on site for doing that or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, committing suicide or whatever the situation, if you have any kind of power or knowledge about something before it happens, you have to do something about it. Right. And these programs can be, uh, huge, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the idea of trying to get ahead of a problem, obviously we know, or you and I know that removing guns from the situation would be the best thing you could do, but like, there's no proof of that anywhere in the entire world, nowhere else in the world. Right. I hope that everyone can understand and feel the drippage of our sarcasm (laughs) over saying all of this. I hope that's coming to be very clear warriors. Okay. Uh, Number four, extreme risk laws. When a person is in crisis and considering harming themselves or others, family members and law enforcement are often the first people to see the warning signs. Extreme risk laws, sometimes referred to as red flag laws, Mm -hmm. allowed loved ones or law enforcement to intervene by petitioning a court for an order to temporarily prevent someone in crisis from accessing guns. Mm -hmm. Again, should be easy peasy, right? You know, red flag laws. Yeah. So, so red flag laws are in Colorado right now. And at the beginning, the, um, like a lot of people were against it and everything. You can't take my guns. And even the police were against it, but there's this really, really interesting article. I think it's through the sun, but I could be wrong, but it's, it's, it's a Colorado newspaper. Does this whole article on how the cops actually really love this law, the red flags law, and it has prevented a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, gun violence by getting people the help they need versus like letting them have their guns. So there, there was this huge article about how the, the, um, like sheriff's office and the police were all against red flag laws. And then once they started using it, they were like, Oh my God, less of us are getting shot at less of us are getting killed, you know? And they're like, Oh wow, this actually is great. Yeah. I can't think of a cop that would be thrilled to know that all their constituents that are in front of them also are armed. Right. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying I have any great love for cops in general. Right. But Mm -hmm. like in general, the point is, is that more guns is only going to lead to more accidents, more problems, more rage that is then induced to become something greater than it needed to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we could go on. Uh, The last one is secure gun store storage. Gun owners can make their homes and communities safer by storing their guns securely and properly. This means storing them locked, unloaded, and separate from ammunition. Securing firearms protects children and adults by by preventing unintentional shootings and gun suicides. Mm -hmm. So again, some what should be simple action steps, right? Solutions that everyone everywhere in this country should be implementing, right? But it's got to start from the top and work its way down. So we need... People that are working for us in Congress, mm-hmm. in all the places where decisions are made to make these decisions for, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, to hopefully save more children, save more educators, save people from being yeah. murdered at school of all places. Um, not that it's ever okay to be murdered anywhere, right. but, you know, 
it's just, it's so sickening to think that of all the places where a child could die, mm-hmm. right. That where they go to learn and be with their friends and connect with others and grow. And it, I mean, it should be other than their home, the safest place for them. Yeah. Like of all the places in the, out in the world in public where a child could go and potentially get hurt. Right. Like of all the places where you think, where is my child the most safe? Where are your children the most safe? hopefully with you in your home and at their school. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think before we wrap up here, what are your thoughts about like how you have protected yourself in any way, like in terms of your energy? um, What are the things that you do, if any, Mm -hmm. that have helped you over these many years that we've been dealing with or adjacent to? school shootings or active shooter drills and the like. Yeah. I think it's, um, unconsciously what I think I do. And, and I'm referencing in a minute, um, our previous conversation with Morgan talking about the, you know, the fight, the flight, the freeze, the faint, um, the fawn, um, different layers of anxiety. Um, when I hear about mass shootings, I go through like different ones, And, um, sometimes I am in fight, like I am in like fucking raging about how awful this is, how exhausting this is, how like helpless and hopeless feeling this is. Right. Um, and so in those moments I might like rant or scream or go for a walk or whatever it is. Right. Um, but a lot of times when this shit happens, I just kind of dissociate that's like my go-to these days. It's like, okay, yeah, there's another one of these. This is fucking exhausting. Uh, I'm just going to probably lay here and scroll on my phone or not scroll on my phone or take a nap or whatever, right? Is it the best self-care? No. But honestly, like I didn't learn the life skills of how to navigate, you know, school shootings and, (laughs) and that pain, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Um, and so I definitely get in the disassociated place. Um, but having said that, you know, I do follow people that educate me on things that I can do. So I feel like I'm not totally helpless and hopeless. Um, and I, uh, I vote for people that share my same values in hopes that maybe eventually enough people will vote for enough people to keep us safe. So we can just go to areas and like schools and feel like safe. Um, I don't know. Did I answer a question? I can't remember now. No, totally. No, I I totally got it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of the same, you know, I, I feel like I go through, it's not the five stages of grief, but it's, it's sort of like that, right. It's like, I feel, I allow myself to watch all the coverage and read all the things. If that's what I feel like I need to do Mm -hmm. for to us up to a point, Right. And then when I've hit the wall of, I can't take any more of this information and I feel informed enough about this circumstance. Um, I allow myself to feel it all. Sometimes I journal, meditate on it. Sometimes I just got to get out of a certain situation, move my body, take a walk, stretch, you know, pet my dog, Mm -hmm. whatever, have a conversation with a loved one. Um, And then other times, if I don't want to watch all the coverage and feel all the feelings, I do the same thing. It's just, I need to completely 
take do something that takes my that it's impossible for mm-hmm. me to think about the, the circumstance of the situation. Sometimes it's, hey, I don't have a choice, but I got to go to work, right? But going to work is actually helpful, even if they're in schools, even if I have those underlying worries. Somehow after trauma and tragedy, I wind up having these pockets and these moments of of euphoria with my students and my, you know, the parents and the teachers. And there's something about coming together, right. Yeah. With people in joy and in shared experience and love and playfulness that feels great. Yeah. Even if it's just a dopamine hit for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever. And then I'm back to the unfortunate feeling of all the bad shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not dissimilar to what you said, it's just now what? I can't just sit on this. What, mm-hmm. what can I do right now? Okay. I can, you know, um, I can write a letter to, even if it's somebody into, in a different state, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of resources that now that like have pre-written emails to send to people in power in various states where these things are happening to, um, express your anger and your rage and your demand for change in that state. And generally you hope that bleeds over across, across the board, as you said, and, um, you know, okay, where am I donating this month? Right. Mm Who is going to benefit the most from my money? And yeah, it's, it's about volunteering if I can and voting showing and, and sharing the people, not just voting, but being, um, being outward with, who I'm voting for and why, mm-hmm. because I mean, it sounds trite, but knowledge is power. Right. And yeah. so not everyone is as tuned in to politics or to what's going on as as everyone else. Right. And right. so if I feel like I've gained some information, I've, um, backtracked and make sure that information is correct. Right. Right. Do my, your own research, make sure you're not sharing misinformation or things that are total bullshit or false or, you know, mischaracterized or whatever. Once you have that information, sharing it, and here's why this person is looking to do what's better for your children, your, you know, your schools, your community mm-hmm. and be, and think less about your own bottom line and more about like what's morally correct yeah. when you're talking about who we need in power, right? right? Making decisions for us, for students, for, for schools, for communities across the country. Cause again, this is a unique problem that yeah. we don't deserve, that the children of this country don't deserve, that the teachers of this country don't deserve and the parents right. and all of us that are even just adjacent to that stuff. None of us need this and it can no. be easily changed. Yeah. It's a solvable problem. Yep. As evidenced by every other country. <laughs> yeah. In the world. Okay. All right. Um, so warriors, some things that we hope that you'll consider. Um, if you have the space, the energy, the financial privilege, mm-hmm. give to a cause, give to a, a group that is doing the work. If you don't have the energy to do the work, give your hard-earned dollars, even if it's just pennies, whatever you have to the organizations that are doing the work. Sandy Hook Promise, uh, Every Town, right? Mm-hmm. Moms Demand, like these organizations are doing the work. They're on the ground. And so support them if you can in any way. If there are local marches or walks or protests that you can be part of, or that you can even get started in your own community, volunteer to help be creative, right? Use the fact, use your rage or your fear or your sadness, whatever, and do whatever it is that you have in your heart, in your energy to move the needle forward. Mm-hmm. 
for, for yourself, for your children, for your community, right? Take action. And then as we're saying, spread the damn word, spread the damn word, tell others to do the same, ask them to join you, right? Mm -hmm. Like none of us get anywhere doing anything by ourselves. Yes. We have power in some small way, but we have to band together as Mm -hmm. human beings that care about children, that care about having schools become, re-become safe spaces for Mm -hmm. people to go and learn. Yeah. So share, share what you're doing outwardly. Don't be, don't shy away from it. Don't be afraid to have tough conversations with loved ones, with your neighbors, with whomever. And yeah, I think that's, (laughs) do you have anything to add? Yeah, no, I mean, no, I, I just think, I think that some changes can be made. I think about like, when we really think about the kids, like School is a place that you're supposed to learn, but if you're afraid to be in school, you're not going to learn. Like your amygdala has hijacked your ability to learn. And then I just think about like these children who are perhaps afraid to leave their houses, go places and just want to stay home and be miserable on social media. Right. Like, I just wonder, like, what is it going to be like in our world when they're grownups? Because if we are just torturing them and giving them post-traumatic stress as children and not helping them, what is our future going to be like? So that's how I want to add on. Like, it's worth finding ways to help make a change because a change needs to be made. Yes. And it's not just like you said, it's not just about safety right now, imminent threat. It's about PTSD. It's about trauma that will live in their minds and bodies, by the way right? For potentially ever. And so, yeah, that's why this shit needs to be taken care of. Children should not experience weapons of war. They did not sign up to be in war. Least of all in their classrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Warriors, no win this week. Just, (laughs) just sit with all of this. And if you need pause, if you need to take a break, if you didn't make it to the end of this, you won't hear this, but Maybe eventually you do and um, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. One of my heroes, Glennon Doyle always says, and I believe she quotes it from someone else. And so forgive me if I'm misquoting her and somebody else, but uh, it's, we belong to each other. Yeah. All right. If you'd like to connect with us, find us on Instagram at anxiety warriors podcast, shoot us an email at anxiety warriors podcast at gmail.com. You can tell us your wins of the week if you have any. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to share any topic ideas with us, we'd love to hear them. If you think you'd be a great fit as a guest on our show, let's get you on the calendar. Let's get connected and help you tell your story, your anxiety journey here on our podcast. Please take a moment and smash that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're tuning in. Make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the show on all of these platforms. And if you're feeling like, you know, you're feeling generous and you want to buy yourself something fun, something anxiety warriors, grab yourself some swag. Um, you can tap on the link in our show notes and get yourself something fun from our shop. Yeah. Do it. Thanks. We appreciate it. We're grateful. We get to do this with you all till next time.